The book of Ephesians, chapter 6. There's been several times in my almost 40 years of ministry that I've actually asked people something along these lines. I've asked ladies who are married, I've said, have you ever sat down and done an in-depth study on your particular responsibilities as a wife. And I would say that the overwhelming number of times that I've asked that question directly to someone, the wise answer is no. I find that amazing. I know when I got married and then the Lord blessed us with our first child that's with the Lord now, but I remember at that time, I remember thinking, Lord, I don't know how to parent. I need some help. And opening up the text and reading Proverbs and looking at these things, and what a rich gift that was. Well, in saying that, I wonder, children, how many of you, I don't mean your parents, I mean you, have actually picked up a Bible and tried to understand exactly what the Lord has for you in particular in being a child. And I've never asked a child that. But my guess that the answer would be no. no. And I think if I would ask the parents how many of you have tried to teach the child, they would all say yes. Okay, so... But there is that particular ministry that we really need to take on to ourselves to try to understand what our particular responsibilities are. Basically, your responsibility deals with the whole New Testament. But here this morning, the Lord is going to single out some particular aspects that you should be majoring on as children and then next Lord's Day as parents also. And I also will be addressing the parents here in the relationship to their children. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, and let's read the first three verses, keeping in mind our scripture reading also from the book of Colossians chapter 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. We have been dealing for the last several weeks in this book of Ephesians on the broad categorical topic of submission. Submission to Christ in everything. And submission to Christ in the church, what does that look like? Submission to Christ in our homes, what does that look like? Submission in Christ in school, what does that look like? Submission to Christ in our workplaces, what would that look like? And submission to Christ I'm going to use the word while we're in Rome. That is, while we are citizens in whatever nation that we are living in. Submission is 
fundamental to a worthy walk. It's not supplemental. It's not optional. When you get saved, whether you're aware of it or not, more than likely the first thing the Lord is going to attempt to clean up is your speech. The second thing that He's going to work on are some externals, where you go, how you act, how you dress, your behavior, your external behavior. But it won't be very long before the Lord begins to work on your inner man. And one of the first things that He works with us with is our attitude of submission. Believers are to walk in a worthy manner. Prior to our conversion in Christ, we walked in an unworthy manner. The world walks in rebellion. They walk in rebellion to God, to Christ. Not everybody's as rebellious as they could be, but they walk in rebellion to Christ, and that is seen in their attitudes to the church or to our homes within the home or in the workplace or in school or in Rome or wherever they're at, their submission or lack thereof, their rebellion to Christ, is seen in their behavior with people, in their relationships in life. All submission is to be done to God in fear of displeasing Christ. Why? Because it is God who has instituted this. And it is God who has commanded this. If we're going to have the right spirit about this, we've got to do this unto the Lord. And brethren, that is easy to say and hard to do. And the reason why I say that is because we are prone to default to walking in the fear of man first. And of course, we read in the book of Colossians, if you notice in Ephesians 6 and verse 5, he talks about slaves, or we could make application when it comes to being an employee, And you look down at verse 6, and what is the admonition? Well, we are to be obedient on our job, in our workplaces, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as servants or slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from our what? Our heart. (coughs) That takes a renewed mind and a renewed heart to be able to learn and grow in that as a believer. Every believer is to be submissive. Every lost person is to be submissive, but we understand that they can't ultimately do that until they're regenerated from above. Being submissive is not just for women. That's very important because today, if you mention the word submission, usually, typically, the men's eyes light up and the women's eyes dim. 
Submission is for how many? Every believer. Every believer. And we are to be working out in our lives God's eternal purpose in every arena. And in the arena of the home, we looked at last Lord's Day with our husbands. Here we have believing wives, believing husbands, believing children, or at least children that are in Christian homes, believing fathers. Fathers, husbands are to be God's own representatives and likeness in everything and definitely within their homes. They're not to be dictators. Headship does not give you the privilege to be a dictator. But it is to prove yourself as an example of what you are demanding and requiring of others in your home. Our children and our wives ought to be able, this is a burden, isn't it, men? Ought to look to us. What does it mean to be a Christian? Look at Dad. What does it mean to walk in sanctification? Look at Dad. What does it mean to read your Bible? Well, look at Dad's habits. What does it mean to be well-pleasing or to have an ambition to please Christ in everything? Look at Dad. That doesn't mean wives are out of the loop. But it does mean that the husbands have this responsibility that is called headship to shepherd your home according to God's eternal purpose. And we do that by two ways with our wives. One, we love our wives in sanctification. Every husband ought to demand their wives be saved and grow in the grace of Christ. In a Christian home, there should be no such thing as an ungrowing husband and wife. And it means, men, as we exercise our headship in our homes, that we love our wives in union with them. We are one. And we are to walk that way. And what a gift it is when you have both of them, husband and wife, and they're one, and they're both, their ambition is to do this. And brethren, let me just say to you, that is a rare thing on the face of the earth. But it would be a good thing for you and your wife to be a rare thing on the face of this earth. It would be a treasure. Now that brings us down to Ephesians 6. And here we have the admonition, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he gives an illustration from the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now the first thing I want to do with this is I want to address mom and dad 
But in addressing mom and dad, young people, I'm going to be giving you what you should be aiming for. There is one primary attribute that the New Testament singles out for our children. They are to be taught it. <clears throat> they are to be modeled. Parents are to model this before their children. And it should be insisted upon and that is this verb in Ephesians 6, verse 1, the verb obey, which is paralleled in verse 2 with what word? Honor. Honor and obedience are tied together. If you honor an authority, you are seeking to be well-pleasing to them in all things in Christ. It's not, I'm honoring you while I disobey you. That's not honor. Honor and obedience go together. And it's mentioned here, we read it in Ephesians 6, and we read it again in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. That attribute of obedience is something that I'm going to call this. It is an evangelical obedience. And what I mean by that is, it is a gospel obedience. And that means that submission, obedience, honor, must flow where from? Our hearts Our hearts. Now one of the mistakes that <clears throat> parents make, and I'm including myself, I made this same mistake early on in my parenting, is that I thought external obedience was gospel obedience. And it's not. A child can conform to the rules in your home and have a heart of rebellion. Do we understand that? Early on in a ministry, I remember there were some young people, everybody thought they were the most spiritual young people around, and yet I found out from the young people themselves that they could not wait to get out from underneath their parents' rules and regulations so they could do what they want to do. Well, were they conforming? They were. Were they rebelling? Yes. They were. They were rebelling in their heart. Rebellion, rebellion is an unworthy walk. It is a walk that is natural. It is worldly. Could I be this bold? It's devilish. If you want to look at a model of unsubmissiveness, Look at the devil. 
It is His very nature to be unsubmissive and walk according to His own way. And it is what led to His downfall and man's downfall. What that means is is that when we're talking in this passage about gospel obedience, evangelical obedience, it means that when we are, excuse me, it means that prior to our salvation, we had a fallen, insincere obedience. And we now that we are saved, we are to be learning and growing in an evangelical obedience. Now let me describe what I mean by those two things very quickly. A fallen, insincere, natural obedience is rooted in our own strength, our own ability, our own self-sufficiency, or the aim is our own self-happiness. Criminals don't do certain crimes because they're afraid of the punishment. That's preserving your own self-happiness. And when the lights go out of the city, what happens? What do you find the citizens of that city do? They riot. They break down stores. They do these types of things. Why? Because their hearts are full of this rebellion. Natural obedience obeys only to be self-glorified. This type of person expects recognition. They respect elevation or promotion. They expect a sticker on their paper. I'm not saying giving stickers on a good paper is wrong. I'm just talking about natural obedience. Fundamentally, natural obedience desires human praise. They want the parent to say, you did good. Now, I'm not saying telling your child they did good or bad or whatever. I'm not saying saying that phrase is wrong. I'm just saying that a natural obedience, and parents, you and I know about this, right? We desire recognition. We desire promotion. We desire desire self-glorification if we're not walking in the Lord. Evangelical obedience is different. It is voluntary. That's a hard thing. Evangelical obedience is done in love with a delight to please another. Evangelical obedience is relational. Christ had relationship with the Father. We have relationship with the Son. In other words, evangelical obedience flows out of relationship with Jesus Christ. Evangelical obedience grows and becomes knowledgeable in union with Christ and His words. 
Gospel obedience is sacrificially loving. When Christ died, He did not die to please Himself. He died to please who? God the Father. It is sacrificially loving. It's willing to give everything for the pleasure of the one loved. And folks, you and I know a little bit about that, even in a fallen world, when you, when you as a man, you're walking down and you see the woman of your dreams. That's all you talk about. You want to do everything to please who? To please her. You're trying to gain her affection. Because you have affection. And parents, this is very important for us to understand. I've given you some things that you're aiming for with your children and yourselves. But evangelical obedience is learned. Christ, Hebrews 5 verse 8, He learned obedience. How? By the things that He suffered. And I'll return back to that. No human being comes into this world with a desire to do the will of God. They only come into this world desiring to do their own will. And every parent knows that when they have a baby. I don't know about your babies, but my babies hated to be clothed. My babies would stiffen up. They wanted to dictate when they went to sleep and when they woke up and when they eat. And in the beginning, there's a measure where as a parent you submit to that. But eventually the child can't eat 24-7. There's structure that's brought into that child's life and it's for his good. The only human that came into this world to do the will of God was Christ. That was it. And parents, you need to understand that your children are learning obedience. Are you learning obedience? Your children are learning obedience. There's no such thing as a perfect child. And since they're learning obedience, this means, I know parents are going to be shocked by this, this means that your children will sin. It means that your children will do things that are unwise, that they think are wise. It means that your children will mess up. that very possibly they may wake up and be cranky. Do you ever wake up and be cranky, parents? They might wake up and be cranky. And what that means, parents, is that you need to model for them 
how to handle those things. You need to teach them to walk in Christ when these sinful things and passions and tendencies come up in their life. And brethren, the church, the church is trying to teach us this as a whole, but there's nothing like, as it were, in the battlefield, in your home type of teaching and reinforcement that has to go on. And here is the issue, and children, you need to hear this. We all learn obedience, not when life is comfortable and easy. We learn obedience in the crucible of suffering. Now, what I mean by suffering isn't that, okay, tomorrow you're going to wake up and somebody's going to drag you off into the backyard and put you on a cross. That can happen in certain parts of the world, but I trust that that won't be your circumstances tomorrow. But it won't be long before your children will find something with you or the home or a church or their circumstances that are disagreeable to them. Or it's hard. Everybody loves taking lessons for anything as long as it's easy. When it becomes hard, well, I'm ready to go sit on the sofa. The world will tell you that your life and my life is to be comfortable. And thank God for our comforts. And we have a lot, don't we? But God never promised a life to be comfortable. But He did promise us the grace to walk a worthy walk. When you learn children to be obedient to a cranky dad, when they tell you something to do and you think in your heart, you're just a crab. That's when you have a chance to display grace. Because probably unknown to you, your parents had had to put up with you when they looked at you and said, you're being a crab. Obedience is learned when you have delight to bring delight to an overbearing husband or an overbearing manager at work or when you disagree strongly over something that is a non-scriptural issue, but you submit. I've said this to many, many people. It's not submission when you agree with your authority. That's easy. Lost people can do that. But it's supernatural for us to walk a worthy walk and be submissive when you disagree about something. 
Does everybody understand the exhortations here? And you may say to yourself, well, Pastor, you're, you're, you're just elevating this to the point where I'm just saying in my heart, this is impossible, and you're right. It will take the grace of Christ in our lives. And that's the beautiful thing about being a believer and being in a New Testament church is because we get to see that grace all the time being worked out one with another. In fact, you can determine your own maturity level when life brings you grief if you submit or not. That will tell you your level of maturity. Anybody can say they're mature because they have Bible knowledge or that they can win at Bible trivia game. That's not maturity. Maturity is not just having the knowledge. Maturity is the knowledge being worked out in your heart and life. And children, I really want you to take very seriously that primary attribute that God points out for you in relationship to your parents. If you would learn this at home, and you would learn this or be learning this at a young age, I promise you, it will become a treasure in your life. You will see good days. It's exactly what Ephesians 6, verse 3, so it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You will see good days. You will see days in which God's goodness is being shown to you. But if you don't learn this at home, your life will have strife and trouble all your days. And I can assure you that the way you treat your authorities as a young person will be revisited upon you when you're older. It's amazing how many parents, myself included, have said to myself, well, it is reaping what you sowed time. That you look at your children and you say, I really see myself on how I acted when I was younger. And young people, it is my desire, it is the Lord's desire, it is your parents' desire for you to live a life and see good days. And it begins when you're four when you're two, when you're six, eight, twelve, eighteen, twenty-two, twenty-eight, thirty-two, it begins young. <clears throat> and parents, it's very important that you know what that primary attribute that you want to see in their heart is. Obedience from the heart. And parents, that means that you've got to learn to discern the heart of the situation, not merely the externals of everything. You can be deceived with externals in anything. And the Word of God, parents, will give you that discernment if you will 
Allow that word to dwell richly inside of you. Now let's talk a little bit more directly <clears throat> to the child. We saw in Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 and in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 <clears throat> that children have both an initial and special relationship to their parents. And you'll notice in Ephesians 6 verse 1, it's not just obey your dad or obey your mother, but it's to obey both of them because the Scripture is expecting both the father and the mother to be one. Did we hear that? Children love to divide their parents to get the answer for what they want. But they are to be one. And let me just say this. <clears throat> your parents, young people, your parents will be your parents all your life. There's never a time when your parents cease being your what? Your parent. Never. My dad is no longer on this earth. My mother is on this earth. She's not my friend. Now she may show me aspects of being a friend, right? But she's much higher than a friend. She's my what? She's my mother. I can have many friends. <laughs> Only one mother. Your parents will always be your parents. Young people, listen to this. Although your responsibilities may change, you will always be a child to your parents. Children, did you hear that? You will never cease being a child to your parents. My mother does not call me Frank. She calls me by my middle name, which if I was to ask you what my middle name, most of you don't know it, but you're about to. <laughs> she calls me Lynn. My mother and my sister are the only people on the face of the earth that call me that. But this is how she refers to me. Now, I'm in my 60s. And she calls me Little Lynn. Because my dad was Big Lynn. I'm the third. And there were times when I was in my late teens when she called me Little Lynn just inside. I just, just grated about that. I'm not little. <laughs> How can she call me that? And now when she calls me Little Lynn, it's like, okay. Call me, call me what you want to, you know? As long as it's nice. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
I will always be my mother's child. And that means that there is a weight, even when you're older, that there is a weight that you give to your parents to fulfill Ephesians 6 and verse 1. There's a weight that you are to give to your mother, a weight that you're to give to your father. There's responsibilities when they are aged. You have responsibilities to them because you're still a child to them. If any believing widow have children, did you hear that? Let that child requite their parents. Pay them back to some small measure by providing the means of their necessities plus. Now I think that's very important. If you don't get anything from this, you ought to get that. Because the world tells you the opposite. You're grown up now. You're not a child. You will always be a child to who? your parents. And parents, they will always be children to you, even though you might treat them different responsibilities. They're adults now. They've got a home or whatever. But they are still, you're still the parent. Every child is brought into this world under authority. Everyone. Every baby comes into this world totally dependent on others. And in a sinful world, parents have the privilege of reflecting Christ, co-laboring with Christ, both in the physical development of their children and the spiritual development of their children. Now, they can't make their children get saved. But they can certainly provide the means, they can saturate their home with the means by which that child will become born again by the grace of God. And since every child is brought into the world under authority, and since it is the parent's privilege to reflect Christ in co-laboring in their physical development and spiritual life, Therefore, young people, your relational submission begins in your home. And you'll notice in Ephesians 6 and verse 1, you are to obey your parents in the Lord. Christ instituted it this way. He commands you to do that. For this is right. You are to obey your parents in all things. Meaning, in the Lord. If your parents tell you to explicitly sin, you are not to do that. But there's an attitude. Remember our attitude of submission. There's an attitude of submission that you're to have. Why is that? Because obedience is a reflection of the new man. Lost people are known by being disobedient. They are children of disobedience. We're to be children of obedience. And this extends, young people, into every area of your life. 
It extends into the areas in which your parents voice clear, explicit scriptural instruction. If your parent says, you are not being humble, this is not, not how the Bible would have you handle certain things. You are being haughty. They have clear scriptural instruction about that, and you are to what? You're not to say in your heart, I don't see it that way. You are to say, if my parent says that I'm not being humble, then I'm not being humble. And I need to listen to what they have to say to me. But it also extends into areas that are questionable. And what I mean by questionable is, I'll just use this illustration. Parents, have you ever told your children, go clean your room? How many of you have ever done that? Okay. Have you ever had your child come back and say, my room is clean? And then you go look at the room and it looks like a tornado's been through it. The child has an opinion of what a clean room looks like. Or he wouldn't have come to you and say, Mom, Dad, my room is clean. And then you go in there and go, No way. And then your parents go in and say, Clean up your room. Not how you think it ought to be cleaned up. What you know I think clean is. And you might have to instruct them. You might have to help them. Here's how I want these books to look. Here's how I want your bed to be made. Remember, they're learning what? They're learning obedience. That's what I mean by questionable areas. We all have our own definitions. But when you're in a home, the definition that matters is your mom and dad's. And you should what? You should obey it. You should strive to please them in all things. Cleaning your room like the Lord, like your parents want it clean is not is not sinful where you have to say, I'm not doing it. Young people, don't justify being disrespectful to your parents by noting your parents' inconsistencies. We're all inconsistent. And sometimes our inconsistencies are due to differing circumstances. And when your children are very young, they're very black or white. They just don't understand context about anything. But nothing justifies your disrespect 
dishonor or disobedience by pointing out your parents' inconsistencies or even their sins. Because young people, I'll give you a little hint, you're a sitter too. And you have inconsistencies too. And hopefully your parents aren't sitting there watching you walk back to and fro all day long pointing out your inconsistencies. I don't think you would want me to point out all your inconsistencies, would you? Nothing justifies dishonor in that regard. And young people, I want to bring up a last thing here. Just an application. Just like the words of Christ may bring shame and reproach, sometimes our parents' commandments and rules bring us embarrassment and shame. It embarrasses us. And parents, you probably heard this before. Well, Johnny next door, they get to do this. Well, okay, that's Johnny next door. This is our home. And though you may disagree with it, and though if you're talking to Johnny and you say, well, I can't have that particular toy, and Johnny looks at you and says, I can't believe that my parents let me do that. And you feel embarrassment about that. There's no reason to show your parents dishonor. You are to obey. And young people, this is true in church. Different Christian parents have differing standards. And one Christian parent may allow this. Another Christian parent may not. But I'll give you a clue. That's going to be your whole life. And where we're going to know who's right and who's wrong isn't by your own self-judgment. It's going to be when we stand before the Lord. We will give an answer for everything that we've instituted in our lives. And we should do this, if you look at Ephesians 6 verse 1, <clears throat> we should do this for this simple reason. It is right. Did everybody see that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For, because, this is, this is Right. The word right can be utilized in the sense of rightness or righteousness. If you want to speak about what is righteous in a child, what is righteous is what is characteristic of God. What is righteous is right. God always does what is Right. Right? God always does what is right. And Jesus is God in human flesh. Do we agree with that? Did Jesus always do what was right? Luke 2.51 says, Jesus obeyed His parents. Were his parents sinful? 
He created them. Were his parents inconsistent? Were his parents without knowledge? You're talking about a child who had all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. And if he wanted to pull out inconsistencies, he probably could. His brothers and sisters didn't believe on him until after his resurrection. And yet, he submitted himself to his who? To his parents. And even on the cross, he fulfilled one of his last earthly duties as the oldest son when he said to John, John, this is your mother. And looked at his mother and said, this is your son. Meaning John was to take care of her because he was dying. That is amazing. I call that humility, wouldn't you? I'll call that humbling yourself. And brethren, 2 Corinthians 5.9 says that a believer's desire is to be well-pleasing to him. And the way we do that, young people, is by doing what's right. Doing what's righteous. And the blessed thing about this is that in verses 2 and 3, not only should we do this because it's right, but secondly, we do it because it has a promise associated with this. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a what? With a promise. I want you to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And what Paul's bringing out here is this unusual aspect about the Ten Commandments. And by the way, all the Ten Commandments are the result of loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, you don't commit adultery with your neighbor. You don't murder your neighbor. You don't steal from your neighbor. You don't bear false witness to your neighbor. And when you don't do those things, you are being loving to your neighbor. What would love to your fellow man as yourself in in relationship to your parents? What would it look like? Verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? That your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. Does everybody see that? What is unusual about verse 16 of Deuteronomy? It is the first of those Ten Commandments that have a what with it? It has a promise. And that makes the promise significant. When we disobey our parents, we are being dishonorable to them. We are being 
unloving to them. And love and obedience is an evidence of a regenerated heart. So what Paul's doing here is he's exhorting children in the church. Remember, this is, is it an epistle from Paul? Is it the Word of God? That means that when that church got this epistle, what did they do with it? They read it. And when they're reading it, Paul addresses a particular group of people, children, in that church. And he says, Honor your father and mother because this is the first commandment with a promise. Now that promise deals with wellness. Verse 3, Ephesians 6. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, notice what Paul doesn't quote from Deuteronomy. Does he quote the commandment, honor your parents? Honor your father and mother. The answer is yes. Does he quote, I'm going to give it away, some of the promise? Because in Deuteronomy, the promise was that they would live long on the land which the Lord your God has given to them. Paul does not say anything about land. <laughs> Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, that promise is a promise concerning wellness in the physical land. And in the Old Testament, remaining in the land was a sign of God's gift. And it was a gift to them according to their obedience. It was God's favor in the land. But Paul omits the land aspect of it. And the reason why he does so is because, brethren, we're not dealing with the shadows. We're not dealing with the types. We're dealing in the reality of things. And the reality is not a physical land. It is who? Christ. And He is at the right hand of the throne of God. So set your affections on things above. But the promise is still true. That the promise of honoring your father and mother is a promise in general of wellness and a long life. Length of days. And brethren, when that promise is seen in a person's life, it is an evidence of God's favor on that person. It is a gift of God to have a heart of submission. It is the evidence of a hardened heart to have a heart of disobedience. This promise 
that it may be well with us and that we may live long on the earth will be fully fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be with Christ for how long? Forever. And will it be well with us? It will be well with us. What we have here in this passage, and I repeat again, is something fundamental, foundational to our Christian walk. Submission. We are to be submissive to one another in the things of God's eternal purpose in the church. We are to be submissive to our husbands as our husbands attempt to wash us with the water, washing of the water of the Word. And our children should learn obedience within their homes because it is the foundational aspect that will bring them wellness in their life and good days. Now, I need to say this. It doesn't mean that you're going to be healthy. What it means is, is that you will be walking before the Lord in His favor. There are hundreds and thousands of believing people who have died at a very young age because of persecution. But they obeyed their parents. And they walked that worthy walk. And it was well with them. God's grace sustained them, gave them that endurance that was necessary. Now our nation is dying because of a lack of this. Our nation calls submission bondage. Our nation calls submission slavery. And I'm going to be honest with you, when you really have this heart, there's going to be times this thought is going to enter into your mind. Well, you're just making me feel like a slave. Now when that happens, you need to say, yes, I'm a slave to Christ. And He told me to be submissive. And I'm not doing it ultimately for the sake of the one in authority or for the sake I don't want to go to jail or I don't want to lose my job. I'm doing it because I'm working heartily for the Lord in these things. If you develop a submissive heart, People are going to tell you that you're allowing your authority to walk all over you. They may be. Did people walk all over Christ? Folks, do we see what I'm saying here? To develop this spirit by being saved and growing in that spirit they're going to treat you like they treated Christ. And that would be a good thing, wouldn't it not? 
But young people, if you would develop this, it would save you from a multitude of sin and strife and trouble and heartache all the days of your life. Now I want to conclude this way with some very penetrating questions. And after I ask these questions, I'm going to have us bow our heads. There are people here today, young people and older, I'm sure, and you need to be reconciled to God. You need to be saved. You don't have the life of Christ in your soul. And there's something inside of you that just grates about this type of demand from God. There's nothing inside of you that says, I want that. It's just resistance. Well, I want to encourage you to confess your sinfulness to Christ and ask Him to save you and make you a new man or a new woman or a new boy or a new girl. And the Bible says that if you would confess your sin to God, your sinfulness to God, and you would believe that God raised His Son from the dead for your atonement, that He would what? He would save you and make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. That would be a great thing. But there could be here in our church or listening through media, there could be child-parent relationships that need reconciliation today. Like right now. And what you need to do, young people, is to confess and forsake it before the Lord. You need to go to the Lord first. And then after you go to the Lord, you need to go to your parents and ask forgiveness. I'm not asking you, young people, to do something that I did not do in my 20s. After I got saved and I began to learn the things of the Scripture, I realized just how rebellious I was. And I went to my parents and said, can I talk to you privately? And they're like, oh no, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you sick? And I told them that I was a rebellious young child. And I want them to forgive me for this. And what people normally do when you say that is they'll say, Oh, it was not it was okay. I you're you're okay. You weren't rebellious. You were a good child. And your response should be, I'm asking you to forgive me for being rebellious. Because it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what Christ thinks. 
I've even had to go to my in-laws and ask my in-laws to forgive me. As a young man. Because there were things I didn't understand and when I came to understand them, I got right with the Lord as a believer and I went to the person and asked them to forgive me. Some of you have had me, even as a pastor, come to you and say, please forgive me. This is serious with the Lord. And if nothing else, you ought to say, I'll do this, if for nothing else, because I want it to be well with me. And I want my life to be full of good days. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.